Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Join my VIP program. Get my pronunciation course at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. My pronunciation course teaches you to speak clearly with good, clear, understandable pronunciation. So everyone will understand you when you speak. Get my pronunciation course at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Let's start with a great quote from Ramanda Prasad. Ramanda Prasad. Here's the quote. Think of whatever work you do or are doing as your gift to family, society, and God. Think of whatever work you're doing as your gift to family, society, and God. That's Ramanda Prasad. And Ramanda Prasad is here is commenting on the Bhagavad Gita. So this quote is... Uh, I'm not sure if Ramanda is a woman or a man, actually. It's his or her reaction to or rephrasing, re-saying one of the key ideas of the Bhagavad Gita. Of course, the Bhagavad Gita talks about, you know, how do we live? How do we take actions in the world? Especially tough actions. Difficult actions. Or necessary actions. Even actions we're not excited about. How do we do that without becoming selfish? Without becoming foolish? Without becoming greedy? Because it is a tough question, right? The Bhagavad Gita, right at the beginning, starts with a very, very difficult question. It's a super difficult problem. And it is central, because central to the teaching, you know, again, we have Krishna and Arjuna. Arjuna is, the, is leading his army. But Arjuna very much believes in nonviolence, that you should not do harm to others. And yet, he and his family have a very difficult choice. Either they fight against evil, against this evil group, this evil family and people who have uh, cheated them and attacked them, stolen from them many bad things so they either fight against those people to stop them or or they can be nonviolent they can avoid violence but then what happens well then <laughs> then those bad people will continue to attack them continue to steal from them 
So, uh, you know, basically at the heart of it, I think that one of Arjuna is struggling with this question. How do I fight evil without becoming evil? Right? How do I fight evil without becoming evil myself? Because if I, f- if I fight them and, and we have this battle, I'll have to kill many of them. And of course, many on his own side will die. He knows that too. That's a hard question. And it is a question we all face in some form. The Gita is a very dramatic, a very big situation. But we all have the same possible battle. I mean, the issue of self-defense, for example. You know, I, I also believe very much, mostly, mostly, in nonviolence. I d- don't want to hurt anyone else. But what if I was attacked? What if my family was attacked by someone trying to hurt me or hurt them? Then what? Then what's the choice? I do nothing, I'm peaceful, I try to talk, and then I die or am hurt badly. My family member or members die or are hurt badly. So for me, it's, an, it's a clear choice, just as Krishna teaches, you have to fight. You have to fight, but you do so without becoming evil. You try to do so, th- and this is the hard part. It's not easy, <laughs> okay? You fight without hatred inside of you. So you don't surrender, you don't quit, you don't let evil be done to you, you don't let evil be done to those you love. You do fight, but you have to do it without becoming hateful yourself. With clear and a calm mind and a calm heart. Now hopefully none of us have to face this kind of choice in life where we're talking about killing and fighting and that kind of violent situation. But, you know, it's the same basic question when we talk about money. And this is one we all do have to definitely face as adults. Because it's the same thing. How do you, you know, you have a family, you have yourself, you have your family, and you need to make some money to buy food, to to have a good life for yourself, and then especially for your family. How do you do that? How do you become financially free, for example, and give this good life? create this good life without becoming greedy right without just wanting more 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 money 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 and then doing bad things in order to get the money or even just having your mind always filled with this desire for money and more and more and more it's the same question right basically the same question And so, Krishna is teaching in the Gita how to do that. First of all, Krishna teaches that it's necessary. Okay, we have to take action. We have to do these things in life. So it's how we do them. It's what is in our mind and our hearts as we do these actions. That's what's the key thing. And at the highest level, at the very highest level, Krishna's teaching that 
if we, if we want to have that highest level of good in ourselves, then everything we do, we do um, as, as like a spiritual practice. Right? We do f- with a good intention. So Ramanda here, Ramanda Prasad, describes it as when you're doing something, think of doing your work, not just for yourself, not, oh, because I need a paycheck, but as like a uh, contribution so that all the work you do, you think of it and you're doing it as a contribution, a contribution to your family, to other people, people you love, a contribution to society, and ultimately, finally, a contribution to God, whatever, Tao, etc., whatever name you want to use for that. And see, in this way, then, you will not be destroyed by your actions or your desires, but in fact, quite the opposite. So if, when you're working to become financially free, for example, there can be many reasons. You can have a, a very, very different mindsets, right? Thoughts in your mind about why you're becoming financially free, and the you know the actions you take to make money. The while you're creating your assets and learning, investing, and doing investments, and maybe starting a business. Well, some people do all of that, and in their mind, they're just thinking about you know, selfish desires, very shallow desires, right? They're just imagining expensive cars and if they're a man, they're imagining the women that they'll get with all that money, maybe. Or maybe they're imagining the new jewelry and the expensive clothes. Or maybe they're imagining the status, right? They can be act better than other people or maybe they're imagining the power they'll have to control other people and all the parties and the drugs and the sex and the alcohol and the fame and all those kind of things right you, you could imagine all of that and that would give you a strong motivation to make money to become more financially free but it would also create a lot of problems, <laughs> as we see with quite famous and rich people. So that's, that's the danger. But on the other side, imagine you decide while you're doing this similar action, you're trying to make money, create a business, invest, make assets. But as you do that, your mindset is you're thinking, oh, I want to, I'm doing this for my family. I'm going to give my family a good life. I'll give them a good, you know, a good home. I'll give them freedom. I'll give them opportunities and myself too. I'll give myself more time so I can be at home with my children more. So I can really be there for my children and not have to be off at some job all the time. And you could even think even beyond just your own family and uh, when you're creating your businesses and investing that you're doing also for the purpose of helping, helping your customers, helping other people, that you're doing something that is helpful to others. And so it's also a gift, a contribution. 
at the highest level would you'd be doing something or doing very different things with a mindset of you know contributing to all and you know to the highest power that you know of you can see how it would be totally different right if someone with that mindset just imagine those two mindsets and they both let's say they both make I don't know a billion dollars they both become billionaires with a B the one who just wants to party party and all the selfish stuff and then the other who the whole time has a mindset of contribution I mean it's not it's not hard to imagine the result after all of that the, the, the one with the selfish desires is very likely very likely to be destroyed by that success and the one who's doing work as a gift as a gift to others as a gift to society as a gift to God as a gift to the universe they're not going to be destroyed by that success quite the opposite Now, what's really powerful is we can have this same mindset for e- even the smallest things we do. Right? Even just whatever, even if you have a job right now and you're going to your job and maybe your mindset is usually just go and get a new paycheck. Uh, and then you're just kind of thinking of the money or, or you're, even, you're not even thinking of it at all. You're just doing it because you, you have to. Well, what if you had a different mindset? What if each day going to work, you remembered that, well, because of this job, you know, I, I'm contributing to my family they can have food they can have a place to live and hopefully maybe you do a job that uh, for some company that makes a useful product or service that helps people in some way even a small way you can remember that too and that can change how you think and feel and do when working And see, when you do this, then the second part of this is letting go of the results. Then what you're doing is your action is like a gift. And you're not expecting something in return. Right? You see how that also takes away a lot of the fear or the greed or the desire for some specific result. Because you do your actions in life as contribution, as a gift, as a gift to And because it's a gift, right? If you truly give a gift, you, you don't want something back, right? If you give a gift <laughs> to someone, you don't ask them for money. It's a gift. You're just giving it to them. You just hope they'll be happy. And you hope it, it'll be useful for them or you're giving freely. Well, every action you take in life can be this way. So you're working to create a business and you're doing it as a gift a gift to your customers, a gift to your family or your future family if you're young and you don't have a family yet, but hopefully you will. You, you probably have parents, <laughs> right? But in the future, even, you will. And 
So if it's a gift you're not so worried about. Oh, how much money am I going to make? And what will people think? And all, right? You're just, you're doing it as a contribution. I think contribution is another nice way to say it. And then you can relax about the results. If you fail, well, you still had the right mindset. So you learn from it and you maybe still did some good. If you do a business, for example, let's say you try to try to start a business. You start that business and you have this mindset of contribution, of giving a gift. Got a siren in the background. Noisy city. This is why we will be leaving the city in a few years. <laughs> anyway, back to our topic. If you start a business, for example, and your mindset is one of giving, one of contribution, and one of equanimity, right? I'm not going to worry too much about failure success. It's not about your ego. Well, then whatever happens, it's, can, it's positive. Whatever happens, it's positive. The business becomes successful. It grows. You become financially free. Great. You've got that. You got all that money and freedom to contribute to your family, to close friends, to society, etc. Great. What if the business doesn't succeed? It fails. Well, it doesn't matter. You still probably did some good when you were trying, right? Maybe you helped a few customers. If your business eventually closes, but before it closes, maybe you do help some people still. And you learn something. And what you learn makes you a better person. And that will be a gift to everyone you know. So if you have that mindset of giving and contribution, a gift to others beyond just yourself it's hard to fail right because you're because you're changing you're changing what success means success is the doing it's not what happens after and what's what's interesting about this I don't know, it's some kind of law of the universe somehow or a psychological law of human nature. But when you have this mindset, you actually are more likely to succeed. (laughs) You actually are more likely to get that good result that you want. I, I can explain this psychologically because as you have, the more you have this mindset of gift giving contribution you feel less fear and when you have less fear you think more clearly you make better decisions you take smarter risks therefore you are much more likely to succeed to get that result that that best result I can explain this spiritually the idea that the universe or God or some energy seems to come and help us when we have the right mindset. When our heart and our mind are correct and right, we just seem to attract help. You can call it good luck, good fortune, whatever you want to call it, good karma, but it just seems to happen. It does. So you can think of it 
as a psychological process or a spiritual process or both whatever the reason it does seem to work the other final thing I want to say about this is that by having a mindset of gift giving contribution you actually enjoy the process more too of whatever you're doing you enjoy it more it's more enjoyable and part of that is because the s- much of the stress disappears much of the fear disappears but I- and instead you're filled with gratitude you're filled with appreciation you're filled with the desire to be good and helpful to contribute you're filled with a mindset of abundance. Abundance means you have a, you have everything you need and more. It's the opposite of scarcity. A scarcity mindset means you feel you don't have enough. I don't have enough. There's not enough. I need more. There's not enough. That's a scarcity mindset. An abundant mindset is the opposite. Oh, there's so much. There's plenty. There's plenty for me. There's plenty for everybody. And when you do your actions with a mindset of giving and contribution, it does fill you with more of a feeling of abundance. You feel like, oh, there's so much I'm doing, I'm giving. I'm giving away because there's so much, there's plenty. This also seems to lead to more success in life even at the most basic level. So a very nice quote. Think of whatever work you're doing as your gift to family, society, and God. That is Ramanda Prasad. Nice. I like it. Homeschooling, home education. I'm trying to avoid that phrase homeschooling <laughs> I don't like think I don't like the word school schooling and just repeating school at home seems kind of pointless to me it's education is what we're talking about so home education actually today I was working on my own system of home education I'll be doing home education with my children and you know, I'm just going to design my own. <laughs> I'm going to do it my own way. It's completely independently. I I will not be buying uh, packaged curriculum. I'm not. That's not. I'm not saying that's bad. It's totally fine to do that. A lot of people prefer to do that. But for me, uh, I don't want to do that. Now, what's interesting is. Just today, I was figuring out how do I want to organize it, right? Because. I'd like to have some organization. Some people do what's called unschooling when they do homeschooling, home education. They call it unschooling. Unschooling basically means very disorganized. (laughs) Very, very loose. Mostly what unschoolers do is they follow their children's interests. So it's the child really leads most of it and then the parents are there as a support. However, I, I, now it, so it totally depends on the family. 
um, I would like a little structure myself because there are certain things that need to be taught and I'm not really talking about the skills so much as values these children need to be taught these values and so this is how I'm organizing my own home education program for my own children it will be focused on values the values that I want to teach them will be the center of my what you call it curriculum <laughs> plan whatever you want to call it and I thought of a kind of a very simple way to do this it, our code actually our effortless English code it's also the code of my family that will be the basic organization of my system for teaching my children remember the code we do the best we can we do the right thing we show each other we care that will be connected everything I teach them will be connected to those three now th that's very 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 big in general so how do I make it more specific then in each of those under each of those I will have more specific so for example we do the best we can as part of that code I will teach them I've chosen five, at least for now, I might change it, but right now I've chosen what I call five classic virtues or five central virtues. A little bit similar to some of the ones Plato taught, but you know, courage, wisdom, persistence. I added persistence because it's important keep trying keep trying um, self-reliance self-growth equanimity so right so, so what th th basically this is giving more details these virtues what does it mean to do the best you can well it means you have you, you work towards these virtues you do your best trying to develop these virtues the second one we we do the right thing. We do the right thing. Well, what does that mean? Well, for that, I've chosen as the more detailed version of that would be what's called the Noble Eightfold Path. But that's because my family, I am, I and my family are Buddhist, and that is that's the central teaching of Buddhism, really. But it's basically eight guidelines for living a good life, doing the right thing. What does it mean to do the right thing? Well, for example, right speech. It means, you know, to speak honestly. <laughs> don't lie, don't, che don't cheat people. Hey, Christians could use the Ten Commandments, right? Um, you could choose anything. You could just, you, you could choose, if you're not religious, it doesn't matter. You could just choose whatever you wanted, but you, basically you just make more details. Um, uh, to explain and teach the values what does it mean to do the right thing and then finally number three we show each other we care so what is that that's the area where I'll teach them about communication about how to be a good family about how to solve problems how to solve arguments how to solve conflicts in included in that will be self-defense that's part of solving conflict sometimes being able to defend yourself and then some things specific to our family that I want to teach them.
So that gives a very nice big structure for teaching them. Very clear, quite detailed values that I want to teach them. And what I'll do is I'll connect whatever we read together, whatever we study together, history and science and math and all the other other stories, things like that, I'll try to connect them to these values. So it will provide a bit of structure to what we're doing. I've also chosen about seven, seven to ten, what I would call classic stories or classic books or classic works that have a connection to our our culture and our fa- our family, which also teach many of these values. So, for example, for for me and our family, I've chosen the Iliad and the Odyssey. For, we- for the West. The Gita, I'll be looking for some... Uh, I found actually already a couple of children's versions of the Gita that help to teach children about the Gita. That'll be one. The Dhammapada for certainly will be one. The Aeneid, Virgil, definitely will be one. You get the idea. These are classic, quite old books and stories that connect to each all of these values that I want to teach. So that provides what I would call the skeleton, right? The bones. The bones of our education plan. So it has a structure, right? It has very clear values and skills for them to learn. But then there's still lots and lots and lots and lots of room for flexibility to bring in many, many, many other books and skills and ideas and projects according to each child's interests and strengths and weaknesses. So that's how I'm going to do it. I'll talk more about it as I... uh, This is something I'll be working on for a while. I've just... I've worked on it before. I'm starting to get it a little more specific, a little more organized now. As I begin to actually do it, which will be in a few years, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll probably make some changes and adapt it, and I'll certainly tell you about it. Not not to tell you this is the only way to do it, but just to show you, give you an example. Yeah, I'm just per- just giving this as one example of how you can do home education very independently. But just like John Taylor Gatto said, and as I have said in the past, one of the great beauties of home education is that each family gets to decide for themselves what's right for them. So you don't have to do it exactly like... I don't want you to do it exactly like me. Uh, You can do it any way you like. And every family tends to be a little bit different how they do it. Some like to be very, very organized. They have very detailed book uh, book lists and curriculum or curriculi and very, very, very detailed activities planned out. Like it's very, 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 very detailed. Some create all of that for themselves, <laughs> which is a lot of work. Others uh, buy programs 
from others that have that have done the work already that they like and they trust that's also good some people will buy a few different programs and they'll use like the best part of one and then the best part of another one and they combine them and mix them that's also fine some will use uh, they'll buy a program and they'll use parts of it and then the rest of it will be flexible and independent so that's also good <laughs> others are like me, they want to go a completely independent, 100% independent, uh, but they like to have some structure. So they have kind of a general structure like I've got, but then a lot of room for flexibility, a lot of room to adapt for each child's needs. And then, as I said, some like to go the complete 100% what's called unschooling way, which is completely 100% flexible. They don't really plan out anything. They just kind of go with each child and they just, you know, they follow each child's interests and strengths and guide them, but it's super loose. And that's also fine. So you've got to decide this. And the good thing is you don't have to... You know, decide completely at the beginning. You can have an idea at the beginning and try one way. And then as you go forward, as you do this with your children, yeah, you can kind of modify it. You might start very loose, for example, and then realize, ah, you know, actually, I think we need it a little more organized, a little more structured. Or, you know, the opposite happens too. Sometimes families will start. You know, maybe they're afraid to be too loose. They, they want to be more like school. So they are very, 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 very structured. <laughs> super organized. And they try it. And then over a few months or years, they start to, oh, we need to relax a little bit. This is too much, too structured. Uh, and they become more loose. So all different possibilities. You can adapt month to month. You can make changes anytime you want. Because again, you're the boss this is the great thing this is what's great about it so anyway I will share with you in the future more about more of the details about my own approach my own method of homeschooling home education rather with my own children I'll share with you too you know there any difficulties I have and how I solve those problems and just as an example that's all I just want to give you guys an example and hope to inspire you to try it so that you'll realize that it's possible and get you to think of ideas and maybe you know I'll talk about something and that'll make you think of another idea for yourself and oh I don't like that but maybe I could do this for my family right so I just hope to encourage you to think and try some things that's all quick let me get some water really quickly oh water water okay Oh, and my Gab today, Gab.com. Uh, follow me, AJ Hogue, A-J-H-O-G-E, on Gab.com. Anyway, someone asked me about The Alchemist, our next book. I am not, 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 I'm not doing a book club this weekend. I want to, I'm, we're taking a, a short break between books. I usually do this. I want to give more people time number one I want to give you time to finish 
dumbing us down. Some people uh, are kind of behind me on the videos, so I want to give more time for people to finish dumbing us down, or even just to watch the videos. Also, I need a little more time. I want with this book. It's a little different. There, there are only two chapters for this book, but they're very long chapters. So I need to uh, read all of the Alchemist myself again and decide where I want my, where I want to do breaks for our lessons. I'm not sure how where to break it yet for each uh, each week. So I need one or maybe two more weeks. I'll go through the book and figure out how to organize our videos, our lessons. And this also gives you time. If you already finished dumbing us down, you can get The Alchemist and read it again or start reading it again before I do my videos. That's also good. One of the key themes, main big ideas of The Alchemist is desire. So I've, I've almost read the f whole first chapter. And this is a big, big, big part of this first chapter. Desire, this idea of desire. Desire means a strong, you, you want something a lot. Now, I can't remember, I'm sure he talks about it in the second chapter, but desire is tricky. So far, the writer, Coelho, <laughs> is kind of giving the idea in the beginning of chapter one of the positive things about desire. You should follow your desires. Like like your desire... He's, he's almost teaching that... giving the idea that your desires are like messages from God or from your intuition or something like that. And that by following your desires, that's how you will find your happiness. Which is quite interesting, because it's, that goes, uh, we got to be careful about that. <laughs> uh, as I said, I think in, later in the book, we're going to get uh, a more, a better message about desire. A more clear, more clear message, because that's a very simple message, which I do not agree with at all. Uh, it, well, that's, I shouldn't say not at all. It's just missing something. That, that's, that idea is missing something because we have different kinds of desires. Uh, we could put them in two categories. Noble desires. Noble meaning good. Um, you know, the, the, our highest desires, those our, you know, spiritual desires would be one, the desire, the de desire to help others, to be good, to, to learn, to grow as human beings. Those are what I would call noble desires, and for sure we should follow those. Those lead us to a good life and happiness and truth and all those things. But we can't ignore the fact that we also have we, what we could call ignoble or not noble desires. And these will lead us to hell. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't just follow any desire that pops in your head. No, no, no. You have to be careful. You have to think quite deeply and carefully about desires, about the things you want. And figure out, is this a noble desire or is this uh, an ignoble desi ignoble desire? Uh, 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 
a destructive desire. Again, I can use a very easy example of this. Let's say heroin, <laughs> okay? <laughs> a drug. There's no doubt that heroin, the drug heroin, creates a super strong desire. And heroin addicts have a super powerful desire to take that drug, to put a needle in their arm and take that drug. Because it feels fantastic, I'm told. <laughs> But it's not hard to see that that is a very bad desire that will destroy you. Just walk around. Oh, we got some cats. Cats are fighting. We have some... Uh ah, the kitties. One's climbing a tree and the, ones, the other one's kind of yelling at him. <laughs> anyway, back to our topic. If you walk around San Francisco and you see the drug addicts laying around on the street, homeless, they look terrible, they're clearly miserable, super unhappy. Well, they followed their desire, but they followed a really bad one. So this is the one thing that, that we call this a caveat. Here's a new vo uh, vocab, vocab word for you, maybe. A caveat. A caveat is... Uh, like a detail, an important detail, and it, it, it explains a rule, right? Sometimes it explains an exception, or it makes a rule or an idea more clear. So, for example, we could say, drinking water is good. I mean, generally, that is a good thing, right? However, there is a caveat, right? There's a... Uh, uh, we need an extra detail to explain, like an exception. Drinking too much water can actually hurt you, right? If you drink 20 liters of water in one day, you can actually die, actually, if you drink too much pure water in one day. So, right, we have a general idea, but then we have a caveat which explains that idea that, okay, but there's a limit, right? Be careful. I think... This idea of following your desires needs a caveat. And the caveat is follow your healthy desires. A better detail, a better way to say it would be follow your noble desires. Do not follow <laughs> your destructive desires, right? I mean, what if you have the desire to hurt somebody else? You're just in, you're in a bad mood. You have a desire to... Uh, to, I don't know, to murder them, to kill them. Obviously, don't follow that desire, right? Now, this could be a possible problem with the translation of the alchemist into English. This could just be a poor choice of, tr of words. <laughs> because I, the way he's writing about this word desire, it's really more like an... Uh, I would think I would use a different word than desire. What he's explaining is more like uh, intuition. It's, it's like something... It's like this deep um, kind of calling. And that's another word I would use. A calling, an intuition. It's like something deep inside of you that keeps pulling you towards something. Like, like this thought, but it, and it keeps coming back. This is one way you know that it's possibly important. 
right? If you have this thought to start your own business, well, you might have, you know, you have many thoughts in your mind every day, many desires. If you have it one time, uh, you probably shouldn't follow it. But if that thought, I should start my own business, I should start my own business, I should start my own business, it just keeps coming back to you again and again and again and again and again and you dream about it <laughs> and you think about it and it keeps coming back all the time. And then you think about it, you look at it and, and, and you have this desire, why? Not just for lots of money and partying, but you know, to, to make your life better, to make other people's lives better. Well, then you start to realize, ah, this is a noble desire. It's something possibly deep and important. And, I, and you should follow those. And this is really what the alchemist is about. It's about identifying those kinds of desires. We could use the word desire, but I think, again, intuition's a better word, I think. Identifying those intuitions and then f following them. And it is tricky. It's hard because, again, like we desire so many things, right? You can desire chocolate cake. <laughs> Does that mean you should eat chocolate cake every single day? Probably not. So it's figuring out which desires are true intuitions that are pulling you towards something, are true messages from your unconscious, from the universe, from God, from wherever, and which are not. And that just takes time. You need to look at them, think about them carefully. Okay, that's all I got to say on that topic. I'm going to go walk home now. Hope you are having a great day. Think back to that first quote we had. Think of whatever work you're doing as your gift. You can do that right now. That, what I like about that is that's something you can do now. You don't have to change anything. You don't need to start a business. You don't need to do anything differently. You can just do what you always do. But with a different mindset. Do your same job, but with a mindset of giving and helping. If you're a parent, st you're still parenting, but with a mindset of giving and contributing. Anything you do, any action you take, try to think of it as a gift. Hmm, give it a try. Tell me on Gab what you think. I'm walking home. Have a great day. Hey, get my pronunciation course. Get my pronunciation course so you speak English very clearly with that great, clear accent. So you're understood. You're always understood when you speak English. Join my pronunciation course. Get all of my courses, including my VIP program, at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. That's EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com.